Um, we want you to greet them too. So a couple little things before we get into the message. Uh, these families are going to be right back in the corner. Uh, and we've got, you know, what we do is kind of fun. We do a, a frame and a kind of a dedication plaque for them of which uh, we invite you to sign as well and be a part of all of this uh, as a part of their family. So uh, we encourage you uh, on your way out, uh, just stop, linger for a moment, uh, put a blessing, a scripture or something on that, uh, and uh, just take a moment to greet them and, and uh, uh, celebrate what they've done today. Amen? And then I'm holding, you know what I'm holding in my hands? Earplugs. Hallelujah. How many of you love earplugs? Really? Okay, well, um, uh, we get complaints about sound now and then, you know, and uh, our, our sound is not, uh, it's not perfect every week, but nearly. It's not perfect every week. Uh, and, uh, and we've been, you know, we've, we're working bugs out. And we're also, we're also seeing sound engineers uh, develop in skills. Uh, and uh, how many of you know that's, uh, that's pretty challenging? Two of you. Okay, good. All right. It's like, different, it's like a different church. I mean, so you had a different church than I have. I, it's like they, they got quiet on me. So, I'll tell you what happened to me, though. Through years of being stupid, uh, I kind of uh, harmed my right ear. And so, uh, if sound, and it's, it's coming down with the healing. Uh, so, if sound is a little overwhelming sometimes, uh, you'll see me put a plug in the right ear, the right side. Uh, so, sometimes I'll just kind of deaden it a little bit on the right side. Uh, otherwise, I find that after something... Uh, as ordinary as a church service or even less ordinary, my ear will ring. And it might ring for a little while. So uh, anyway, these are available, and I'm just telling you this so you won't complain. <laughs> these are available, and you can even, you can, I even break them in half sometimes and just put a little one in there, and then nobody can even tell you've got it in. You look normal, but you're actually abnormal. So, uh, but we just keep working on it. We're perfecting it. Uh, I think today was fabulous, and I'm just, I'm just so blessed that, we've, that, that we uh, are able to enjoy worship like we do. Uh, we're absolutely blessed. Amen? So, thank you for your patience, your grace, and being a part of everything that we're doing. These are usually over with Bill at the media center, but today I put him at the welcome thing, and maybe we'll just leave him out at the welcome area. Uh, for a bit, because uh, I know that more than three of you are interested. You're just ashamed, ashamed to raise your hand. So for all of you rockers, these are available. Old rockers. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and um, we're working our way to chapter 8. Chapter 8's really cool, because chapter 8 starts, and he's like... Uh, okay, for seven chapters we've been saying this, but this is really the main thing we're trying to say. Really fun. I love that. So we're in Hebrews chapter 7. I want to end Hebrews chapter 7 uh, somewhat on purpose uh, with a few verses, though I might not uh, comment much on it, and then we'll get right into Hebrews chapter 8, and then we'll see what the Lord wants to say today. Amen? So I love it that we have 
that we have bold access. This is, you know, chapter 416, that we have bold access with God. Isn't that cool? That we can approach God with boldness uh, and uh, without fear because of what Jesus has done for us. Is that the coolest thing ever? Isn't that wonderful? So uh, today we've done that. Many of us have done that. Many of us, maybe we came in this morning, we didn't know that we could be bold before God, or maybe we brought some stuff kind of, you know, uh, kind of hanging on to us that keeps us from that bold access, Uh, some flub-ups, some sins, some goof-ups. And so, you know, this is where we can come and get refreshed and rewashed as well, right? Uh, and that, that's available for us in the Lord, and we rejoice in that. I want to pick it up at verse 15, and though it's not going to be super clear because we're just diving into the middle of content, uh, we'll try to make it more clear as we go. Is that all right? So Hebrews chapter 7, verse 15, and this is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him. Who are we talking about, by the way? Jesus. For it is attested of him. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By the way, that's a quote uh, out of Psalm 110. Verse 18. For on one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Are we in the same translation, by the way? What are you reading up above? Uh, Where are we? Uh, Derek, you and the NIV probably, aren't you? Yeah. Okay, so... uh, Let's pick it up again at verse 17, and I'll read your screen. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. You're going to need to move pretty quick on those, yeah. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Let's stop right there. Did you know that you can wake up in the middle of the night and call on Jesus? That he ever lives to make intercession for you? That means he ever, he's always awake to respond to you needing help from Father. Isn't that the coolest thing ever? Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because, oh, well, there's the verse. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Uh, this, is, this is such a, uh, a primary role of his right now. Uh, and, but it's important for us to remember, because like if, if we don't go to him or if we don't go to God through him, then uh, we may not be accessing the thing that we need, right? So it's important that we're actually vocal, that we're, that we're aggressive, that we're pressing in, that we're not, that we're not slouchy or, or, or quiet or, 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 or uh, recluse or hanging back. It's important that we give him something to represent 
us with before Father, right? That was good. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Is that the end of chapter 7? Thank you so much. Isn't that cool stuff? So we have a high priest. Now, this is interesting. This introduced some thoughts on uh, Islam to me. It introduced some thoughts where I, I, would, I did some segues in my mind. And last week I threw out that teaser and uh, just thinking about, you know, why do we need a high priest, right? Why do we need a high priest? Uh, can't we just bring any sacrifice to God on our own and pretty much any time we want to, can't we bring that kind of a sacrifice? Why do we need a high priest in the first place? Is this just like a Jewish thing and we all got sucked into this, this Hebrew trick and, and now we're all like, you know, influenced by Israel and all over the world we've got this high priest thing going on? Why do we need a high priest and why can't we bring any sacrifice to God on our own anytime? And why wouldn't that be sufficient? Islam teaches there's no intermediary person between us and God, that each person approaches God on their own. Muslims believe that salvation comes to those who obey Allah sufficiently and that good deeds outweigh the bad. Muslims hope that repeating what Muhammad did and said will be enough to get to heaven or paradise. But they also recite extra prayers and fast and go on pilgrimages and perform good works in hope of tipping the scales. Martyrdom to service to Allah is the only work actually guaranteed to send a worshiper to paradise. Any volunteers this morning? Okay, so, I mean, I just thought that was interesting because, you know, the Bible clearly declares from the very beginning all the way to the end that we need a high priest, that we have a high priest. And also, the Bible declares that, that there needs to be a sacrifice made for us to have uh, an open door to reach into Father's heart, for there to be communion, there needs to be a sacrifice made because God is holy and just. And, and, and since God is holy and just, uncleanness cannot dwell with Him. The word common union or communion means common union. It comes from that. The word atonement comes from at one month. At one. So God for us to become at one with God, for us to have communion, common union with God, then God would have to bring us near. And God can't bring us near in our sin. And no matter, and, and, and the hopelessness of this religion, Islam, the hopelessness is that no matter how good our deeds are, no matter how hard we try, We'll probably blow it tomorrow. 
No matter how hard we try, we'll probably miss the mark. We'll probably do something. And the moment we miss the mark, has anybody done that in this room? Any mark missers? Uh, The moment we do that, then immediately there's this separation. And so instead of having communion, and, and one of the reasons that we commemorate communion with the elements as we do with the bread and with the cup is to constantly remember that Jesus has made us one with God, that Jesus has brought us in, that we have common union with God, that this atonement is beyond what it was in the Old Testament, that this atonement is so rich that we've become one with God, that in the Old Testament the atonement remained or, or continued to keep the people of God as servants. But this atonement is so rich, we become sons and daughters of God. We become the very children of God. This atonement is so rich that our inner man is transformed and that we receive the very heart of God on the inside. This is a rich atonement. This is a rich atonement. And so it, 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 it's so important that we see what Jesus has done for us. And in seeing what he's done for us, we also, we also get delivered of, of trusting in our own works with regard to righteousness. That we come into this freedom, that we come into this grace, that we, that we partake of sonship, that we partake of becoming a child of God through what he has done. Amen? That we understand that, that, uh, that our lives before Him, that our living before Him, that, our, that, our, that our, our labors even before Him, our labors of love as we lay down the carnal nature and take up the nature of Jesus. We lay down the carnal nature and we take up the nature of Jesus. Did you know it's actually easier, and it gets, it gets easier, it gets progressively easier to act like Jesus when we lay down the carnal nature. Usually what's in the way of acting like Jesus is the carnal nature. And all of the rebellion and the pride and the anger and the jealousy and the envy and the deception that's tied up in that, in that carnal nature. And the more we can set that aside, how many of you know, the easier it is to walk the Jesus walk, to live the Jesus life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, words, as long as we hang on to earning our way in, then we also have to perform these works of righteousness. And we see religion, we see church, we see a God relationship out of that perspective that I, I, I need to be involved in. And, and that's the way we might even talk to ourselves. Well, I need to serve. Well, I, I need, it's like I need to shape up, you know. And they... But the more we're transformed inwardly, the more we put aside the old nature, the more we overthrow the carnal nature, the more our phraseology changes from I need to to I get to. There's a huge shift of change because we, we begin to see that this flows out of my new nature. It automatically flows out of my new nature to love, to give, to serve, to share. 
I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to have a need to talk with myself. I don't need to grab myself by the nap of the neck and, and shake myself around a little bit and say, you better shape up. You better start acting like a Christian. Is this okay? I, I'm just kind of reflecting on this a moment that a lot, of, a lot of our own difficulty with walking the Jesus walk and living the Jesus life, it, 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 it's not that we need to work harder to do that. We just need to thoroughly put the old to death. It's impossible for your earth suit to be animated without something to animate it. So if you put the old one to death, then the new life will animate your body. And that's what Paul says. I am crucified with Christ, but nevertheless I live. What is up with that? But the life that I live, I live by the faith of the one who gave himself for me. I'm, I'm still animated. My flesh is, I'm even thinking about this. I'm even talking. What in the world? Uh, I'm still animated, but I'm crucified with Christ. Well, what eye is crucified with Christ? The eye that is crucified with Christ is that rebellious eye, that self-will eye, that doubting eye, that fearful eye, that perverse eye. That unbelieving eye, that prideful eye, that envious eye, that jealous eye, that eye is crucified with Christ. But yet, this is Galatians 2.20, by the way. But yet, I'm still, I find myself that I'm still alive. Therefore, I conclude that the life that I now live, I live by the faith. I live by the essence. I live by the animation of the Spirit of God within me. When we, when we are getting better at putting the carnal nature to death, then it becomes so much easier for resurrection to spring up. Is that all right? I can tell you're excited about this. I'm messing with you. Wow, 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 wow. Why a priest before sin came into the world, before the fall of man, we had direct access to God. There we were in the garden. We're fellowshipping with God. Uh, I think that the, the one we fellowshipped with in the garden was the Lord. It was the Lord Jesus. John says, no man's seen the Father, but the Son has revealed. The Son has always been the one revealing the Father. After sin, after sin, our access had to be through the application of a sacrifice. And this complicated our relationship with God. So, so even in the Hebrews, as we see what's happening, he's trying to tell the Hebrew people that Jesus has become a better sacrifice and a better priest He's trying to tell the Hebrew people that they can now look to Jesus, they can trust in Jesus, they can lean into Jesus, that Jesus will be everything to them but even beyond that which they've known. He's trying to encourage them to run after a relationship with Father through Jesus. A priest is a representative before God, an intercessor, one who represents God to the people and the people to God. 
A priest is one that God has used to explain to us divine worship. How do we, how do we approach God? How do we, how do we access God? And, and now one complete system is closing out, and God has raised up a, a priest that is perfect, a priest who represents us, a priest who is always available, a priest who has an indestructible life, a priest who identifies with our weaknesses. I want to talk to you while we're on this theme a little bit about how he formed and sealed the covenant that we have. But let's first go to Romans chapter 8. And look at Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Again, I'll be in the New International. We'll just stay in that Romans chapter 8. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne in the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by a mere human. Every priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one to have something to offer. By the way, uh, uh, I'm going to bring to you, I've got some pictures I'm going to bring to you uh, next week. We'll put those up on the screen, Lord willing, uh, of the tabernacle and what he's describing. And as we get into chapter 9, he describes a little bit more uh, about the tabernacle and uh, what the priests would offer and how that was happening. But again, what we want to see is that this was a foreshadowing of what we now enjoy. That every single element of the tabernacle, every aspect of the offerings was a picture of what we now enjoy in Jesus. And that even then, and he says that the the tabernacle was made, it was patterned after a tabernacle in heaven. When Moses was up on the mount, and he's up there for 40 days, and we know he was getting more than just two pieces of stone with the Ten Commandments chiseled on them. When he was up in the mount, he was receiving the plan for the tabernacle. And then he's told in Exodus 25, see to it that you build exactly according to the pattern. And what he was seeing, he was seeing the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. He was seeing a heavenly tabernacle. God already had this in place so that every single offering was actually entering in as a shadow, as a foreshadow, every single offering of Israel where blood was shed was entering into a foreshadowing by faith of what Jesus would eventually do because already he was offering himself as the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth in the heavenly tabernacle. So that blood that was shed, though it couldn't wash the consciousness of the worshiper, that blood was symbolic of his offering in a heavenly sanctuary. That blood was effective to bring atonement to those people. Now, this, this stuff's important because we, you know, we, I, I, I don't know the, uh, if we understand the, the you know, the, uh, the power of the blood of Jesus. 
the symbolism in the blood of Jesus, the symbolism of blood. See, covenants cannot be made, the Bible says, unless they're made through a death. So in advance, Jesus was offering himself in a heavenly sanctuary. And the animals that were sacrificed and the blood that was spilled, that blood was reaching into that sacrifice as a foreshadowing of the completion that would come 2,000 years ago. And by the way, I don't know if this rocks your brain or affects you or not, but you know, God lives in a realm where time isn't like ours. That's why he knows the end from the beginning. And so, and so that blood was reaching into that which was already done in God, but yet would be fulfilled 2,000 years ago for us, would be finalized. And the, the power of the essence of that blood is that it was symbolic of the giving of a life, not only giving his life for us, so therefore laying down his life, him being perfect, us imperfect, him being sinless, us sinful. It wasn't all only symbolic of him laying down his life for us and, and actually entering in to paying our price before a holy and a just God, but it was also sealing a covenant. Every covenant is made, and the reason covenants are made through blood is because it's, it's giving up my life. A covenant is made by giving up my life. I lay down my life for you. The marriage covenant is the most common covenant that we have, and uh, in, a, in a marriage covenant, we're actually saying, I'm no longer going to live for you. I'm going to, I mean, for me, I'm going to live for you. That's what a marriage covenant is, right? And Jesus did this on our behalf with Father. Jesus, in his manhood, did what we couldn't do in our manhood, Jesus presents himself. Jesus yields to death. You know Matthew 26 in the garden. He is agonizing of soul. He's asking Father. And this is, by the way, this is the, the most powerful moment uh, uh, in history, maybe before the cross, where he's, he's wrestling with his decision before God, right? And God is asking him to yield. Will you, will you yield? And so he says, is there any other way? If there's any other way for this cup to pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When we read that, when we see that, when, when that was heard, it shook the earth. When, when that was heard, that was a declaration the final declaration of him yielding himself to God's will. And this is, this is how a covenant is made, is we give up our lives for the life of somebody else. I keep alluding my, my glance to this one down here because 35 years ago, that's what happened with Mrs. Wolf and Mr. Wolf, is we gave up our lives to live for one another. We came into a covenant relationship. There was a chain, an exchange of a covenant oath, a covenant meal, covenant rings, covenant money, covenant pledge. I actually got more money out of it than she did, but she had a couple thousand dollars in savings. I had school loans. I took the money. 
Hallelujah. So there's this complete exchange, right? This goes on where I give up my life for you, you give up your life for me. This is what Jesus was doing before God as a man on our behalf. He was going in before Father, and he's completely giving up of himself before Father on our behalf so that Father would then and therefore cast his love on humanity, on Jesus the man and all who would find themselves hidden in him. Anybody hidden in Jesus this morning? Come on, he's the one we can run to and hide in. If you run and hide in Jesus, then Father has pledged, has given, has blessed him, Jesus the man, with every blessing, every blessing. And this happened because of him laying down his life. Now, now what, what happens is Jesus says, now would you lay down your life for me? I laid down my will, I laid down my life for you, for mankind, for humanity, for you. I saw you. I, I called you by name. I laid down my life for you. I laid down what I wanted to do for you. I laid down what, what I had available for you, right? This is, this is Philippians 2, that he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, even the form of humanity and even humbling himself to the cross. We're told in Hebrews 12 that it was not a joyful thing, that it was painful, that he despised the shame that was affiliated with what he had to walk through. But yet he did that for us to seal a covenant. And, and Hebrews has a lot of covenant talk in it. And now, and now we come to a place where we realize there's two covenants going on right now. There's two, there's two covenants. There's the covenant that he made on my behalf, but now he's asking me, will I come into covenant with him? This is why, this is why there's language in the, in the Gospels like, unless you eat of my flesh uh, and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And the disciples are like, what? What's that all about? And this is why, this is why there's this commemoration of the covenant. And this is why he says, if you will deny yourself. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Why do I need to deny? I thought you did this all for me. I thought you went to God. You got this thing all fixed up with God. And, and you took care of it for me. And so, I, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't really have to do anything. Well, as long as you have that I shouldn't have to do anything mindset, then living like him will be really hard. It's going to throw you back into the religiosity that we talked about when we started today. It's going to throw you back into trying to do good and measuring your works and trying to do good, but falling short and grabbing yourself by the nap of the neck and saying, I need to do this and I need to do that. I need to serve better. I need to love them better. I need to go to my neighbor. I need to, and you're going to have a lot of need talk going on. And it's just simply because you haven't embraced the covenant he's asking you to embrace. He's saying, I laid down my life for you. Now, I'm asking you to lay down your life for me. 
Now, he wants you to know the you that he wants you to lay down is not all that wonderful anyway. It's not really a you you want to hang on to. It's not making you more money. It's not really helping you that much. It's really not going to make you live longer. It doesn't make your, your, your cheeks go up with a big smile. Fewer of your pearly whites are showing when you have that me anyway. It's a me that you really want to die to. It's actually better with that one dead. Uh, we, we shouldn't see this as a terrible thing. We should see this as a liberating thing. This is a liberating thing. Wow. Instead of God killing me, because I'm such a mess, I get to bring myself to the cross. Come on. I get to bring myself to the cross and there present this homely pile of crud. Don't you think rebellion's a bit homely? Don't you think disobedience and pride and doubt and fear and envy and jealousy and all those addictions that were tied up with all that stuff, don't you think that's kind of a homely mess? Come on, let's just present that over here to the cross. Let's just bring that to Jesus. Jesus said that if a man will take up his cross, if a man will take up his cross, if a man will take up his cross, if we will take up, what's the cross? Jesus died. What's this all about? You mean I got to die too? What's, I thought Jesus died. I thought Jesus did all this for me. I thought it was all settled. I thought he, he said it's finished. But now he's asking you, will you take up your cross? There's two covenants happening in this story. The covenant that he made for us and the covenant that He's calling you into in marriage. Remember the marriage supper of the Lamb? The book of Revelation? Why would there be a marriage supper of the Lamb? Because He's chosen you. He loves you. He's picked you out. You're the apple of His eye. He's in pursuit of you. He's fond of you. You are His romantic partner in the earth. And He wants to get married. But you know what he says in this marriage? I know. He says you have to die. You have to die for living for you, and you have to live for me. I promise, this is him, I promise I'll live for you. How many of you think life could actually be a lot better with Jesus living for you? Can you imagine having a husband like that? Can you imagine having a, a, a provider, a coverer? A, can you imagine having a protector like that? I mean, how much better can life get? God is saying through Jesus. Jesus is saying to you, I'll live for you. I'll give you my all. Actually, he did, right? So it's not just his presentation to Father in his humanity, and we know that he's both fully human and, and divine. We know that that in His humanity He represents us, but God has bestowed upon Him His divinity. So He walks in both in the heavenlies. But it's not just that Jesus has sealed a covenant for us. It's that He's calling us into one as well. Let's stand this morning.
This chapter goes on to say that, that we are brought into a better covenant, a superior covenant. The ministry Jesus has received is superior to the old ministry. Superior as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. Listen to the promises that you have inherited. Listen to the promises you have inherited, better promises. The promise of him representing you day and night. Earthly priests had to sleep, got sick, weren't available, office closed. The promise of eternal life. The promise of His very righteousness covering you. The promise of His authority over the enemy. The promise of healing for the body. The promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The promise of a transformed inner nature. The promise of sonship instead of servanthood. The promise of the power of the Spirit. Better covenant, better promises. And that's all available for us. And I think we partake of it incrementally. It's available 100%, but I think we partake of it incrementally to the degree that we leave that homely old nature at the cross. And for me, I find sometimes it's moment by moment. For me, it's every morning. For me, it might be in the middle of the night. Come on, somebody. Wherever that homely nature, wherever that unclean nature, wherever it wants to spring up, if I'll put it to death, and how many of you know I can do that? How many of you know I can do that? How many of you know you can do that? You have the grace and the ability to say no and to put it aside and to put it to death and to say, I'm done with that. This is my new nature. I've got the nature of love. I've got the nature of love. What I love about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit leading us, the fruit of the indwelling Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that dwells in it, what I love about the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is that I have those fruits right now. Now, I'm saying that to you on purpose because I often hear Christians say, uh, boy, uh, I wish I had patience. Right? Well, well, patience dwells in you. Maybe you just need to put to death some impatience. And then Christians will say, well, I, I, wish, I, had, I wish I had more long-suffering. Or I wish I had more joy. Well, joy dwells in you. Joy is a person. He dwells in you. Maybe you just need to put to death some despairing thought. Maybe you just need to put to death some fear. Maybe you just need to put to death some worry. Maybe you just need to put to death some envy over somebody you're comparing yourself with. Why don't you put that to death and all at once resurrection springs up? 
We are so privileged. We are partakers of a better covenant with better promises. And those promises are not just writ on a book. They live within you. They dwell within you. They're alive on the inside of you. Their name is Jesus. Their name is Jesus. Their name is Jesus. Their name is Jesus. You're a partaker of it. And I would just love it. I would just love it, by the way. Don't be saying someday I will. I would love it that what my ears would hear of you. Oh, today I do. Today I do. Today I partake of. Today I walk in. Today I receive. Today, 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 and just every day. Let every day be today. Let every day be that new day. Let every day be that day where you're a partaker of the glory of God because it's for you. The word of the Lord is near you even in your mouth. This word of faith that we declare. Heads bowed, eyes closed just for a moment. I want to just open the front in just a moment. Even as we go this morning, if you have one more need, you know oftentimes I'll sit in a service and I'll let an altar call go by and I won't respond. And then after it's done, I'll finally yield to the voice of the Spirit that said you should have gone forward. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, if you missed our prayer time earlier, there's going to be just a few folks right up here at the front ready to pray with you. And if you're at that spot now in your heart where you've softened your heart and you've allowed yourself to process what God is saying to you just a little bit more, and you're ready to be prayed for, you're ready to confess something, you're ready to turn your heart toward the Lord, you're ready to receive even something of Him that pertains to the better covenant, the better promises, the fruit of the Spirit, the outpouring of God in your life, then we want to pray with you. Church, we thank you for coming today. And we just declare the grace of God over you, the increase of the Lord over you, the illumination and, and, and the visitation of the Holy Spirit resting on your heart. In Jesus' name, let's worship as we go. By your blood I've been adopted, and I'm on your name. But I need to be reminded that I belong to you. I belong to you. Yes. And the enemy can't take what I have. Sing it out. We'll change who I am. I belong to you. change who I am. I belong. Would you sing it again? Oh, the enemy can't take what I have. Oh, change who I am. I belong to you, yes. And the enemy can't take what I have. Oh, change who I am, I belong to you, yes, I belong to you.
Oh 